1: From washington dc every wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m for an hour-long generation progress takeover
2: check us out at genprogress.org or on twitter at genprogress hello and welcome to the generation progress takeover of the Leslie marshall show i'm your co-host brent J. cohen
0: and i'm your other co-host ed with
2: Thanks, Edward. And as we we discussed in our last show, um, quite in depth, Congress has had an extremely busy past few weeks and has an extremely busy uh, next couple of weeks here, with Democrats in the House and Senate working to pass a few bills of great importance to the country, uh, including a good portion of President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, the Budget Reconciliation Bill, which contains many of the priorities from that agenda. Uh, is also something that that many in the immigration policy and advocacy spaces have been working on in the hopes of securing protections for undocumented people living and working in the United States. While these efforts have encountered some roadblocks thus far, uh, there's still a good deal of hope of progress being made on that front, both as part of, as part of the reconciliation efforts and beyond. So to talk more with us today about efforts to protect undocumented people in the United States, in recent and in coming months, and how people can get involved. We're joined by two expert guests today, Nicole Svelenka, the Associate Director for Research on the Immigration Policy Team at the Center for American Progress. Hey, Nicole, thanks for joining.
1: Happy to be here, thanks for having me.
2: Awesome, and we are also joined by Juliana Macedo-Do Nascimento, the Senior Advocacy Manager at United We Dream. Hi, Juliana, thanks for being on.
3: Hello everyone. Thank you for having me.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into this topic pretty head on. Um, there's obviously a ton to talk about right now in the immigration space. Um, much of this sort of um, building up over over decades in, at times and, and really hopefully on the precipice of making some real progress here. Uh, before we jump in too far into the content, let's just give our give our listeners a little bit of background. So, Nicole, to start us off, can you, can you tell us a little bit about your role as the Associate Director of Research on the CAP Immigration Policy Team and, and how you came to this work?
1: Sure. Um, so I am part of the immigration team at the Center for American Progress, and we are doing work and research and writing every day to try and win a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, to strengthen protections for DACA recipients and temporary protected status holders, um, to rebuild and to reform the refugee and asylum system, and really to create a fair and a workable immigration system. And so my role on the team is to manage and construct all of our data work, um, specifically our quantitative analysis. So it can get really in the weeds, um, but I do a lot of our work in different data sets that try and estimate folks who might be eligible for certain protections. Um, We also do a lot of work to try and um, provide data on the fiscal and economic contributions of undocumented immigrants and um, provide more information on their long standing ties to the United States in hopes that these kinds of numbers and analyses can complement the stories and the voices of directly impacted folks that we hear um, from groups like United We Dream. Um, I am a geographer by training, um, and so in my career I've been really interested in how different levels of government's um, decisions and policies interplay with one another. Um, And so in terms of immigration, it's been really fascinating to look at um, because it's a federal issue, but we know that different states and different localities have responded um, in many different ways to either welcome um, their immigrant community members or to not. Um, And so happy to, you know, be um, taking a look at a lot of this now from the federal level to try and really, um, really push for these changes that we are hoping to see.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, Juliana, similar similar question to you. If you can um, share with us a bit about the mission of United We Dream uh, and what your team is currently focused on right now.
3: Sure thing. Um, so just to give folks a, a little bit of background on United Dream is the largest immigrant youth-led community in the country so we focus on creating welcoming spaces for young people regardless of immigration status to support engage and empower them to make their voices heard and win right our mission really is to fight for a life of freedom and dignity for all immigrants right now we are focused on passing a pathway to citizenship for millions of people through this reconciliation package. And just on a personal note, I'm a, I'm an undocumented person myself. I'm a DACA recipient. And so this work is, uh, really, uh, personal to me. It's personal to a lot of our members. It's personal to a lot of our staff. As I mentioned, we are immigrant youth led. And so, uh, as much as I don't think that I can claim the the youth title as much anymore I'm 35 years old um, I think that it's really important for us to center people who are directly impacted in policy making and so uh, that's why you know I, I do what I do I serve as a, S- a senior advocacy manager at our um, at our organization and uh, we this this project, that we've embarked on this campaign to pass citizenship through the reconciliation package has really been taking on um, all of our efforts in in, this year. Wow, thanks for
0: sharing that, Juliana. Um, 35 is still young (laughs) (laughs) at Division Progress. Yeah, because millennials end, I think, at like 37,
1: 38. So we'll take that. I was gonna say, I agree as well.
3: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. It's just that, like, you know, people think of DACA recipients as these dreamers who are just in college or something. And I'm like, mm, we're a little older now. Yeah. I think um, when I was in college, the big movement
0: for dreamers was really going strong. And those folks who were the leaders of that movement, they are the adults now. So. Exactly. It is interesting. Um, Jumping into our next question, so, and kind of what we're here to talk about a little bit, Congress is currently working to pass a massive budget reconciliation bill based on Biden's Build Back Better agenda, and it touches many of the issues that progressives and young people care about. We know that immigration reform is a humanitarian issue, and it also has significant economic implications. So, Nicole, can you tell us a little bit about efforts to protect undocumented people via this bill?
1: Sure, um, happy to do so, um, and so we do know that protecting undocumented immigrants is part of the Biden administration's agenda. Um, it's critically important for the House and the Senate to pass both the infrastructure deal but also this big Build Back Better package, um, and we know that the only way really to actually build back better is to make sure that undocumented immigrants are included in all of these efforts. So. What we've seen thus far are two proposals to protect undocumented immigrants. The first would have been to provide a pathway to citizenship for a group of about 7 million undocumented folks. That includes dreamers, um, temporary protected status and deferred enforced departure eligible individuals. um, As well as essential workers who are trying to keep our country safe, healthy, fed, open amid the pandemic. Um, The second proposal was to adjust something called the registry date Um, and this is one of the oldest immigration provisions. It was passed in 1929 um, and it would allow certain non-citizens who are long-term residents of the country to register, hence the title, um, for lawful permanent resident status. That's been updated many times, um, but unfortunately the last time was nearly 40 years ago um, and that date is now set at 1972. So this second proposal that um, was being considered was to move that registry date up to 2010. Now the issue that stem or the issue that we faced um, is that the parliamentarian has to rule on whether these proposals can be part of this reconciliation package. Um, we know that both of these had solid precedence. They would have the strong budgetary effects that um, the parliamentarian needed to see um, and have potential for huge gains across the country. Um, but unfortunately, these proposals have been rejected, saying that access to green cards yields benefits that are beyond the budgetary impact, um, and then thus should not be part of the reconciliation package.
2: Thanks, Nicole. So definitely an interesting, you know, and and what we had hoped was a promising approach there. Um, And as we said at the in the intro, that hit a a couple of roadblocks and we're going to go to break here. But when we come back, we're going to talk a bit more about uh, how that landed and, you know, where the where the push goes to now. We know the push is still happening. So we'll be right back on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show.
0: Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwin Theogene.
2: And I'm your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen.
0: Welcome back. Um, today we are talking about what's next in the fight to protect undocumented people in the U.S. Um, we are joined by Nicole, who's an Associate Research Director at Center for American Progress um, for our Immigration Policy Team. Welcome back, Nicole. Thanks. <laughs> and we're also joined by Juliana, who's a Senior Advocacy Manager at United We Dream. Welcome back, Juliana.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks. So before we went off break, Nicole just walked us through a lot of where we were in the fight. Um, essentially, the parliamentarian rejected attempts to include a pathway to citizenship um, for ind- millions of undocumented people in the budget packages. So um, to come back, like, so after that happened, what is what are the next steps when it comes to protecting undocumented people via this bill? Um, Nicole, can you provide us with the answer?
1: Sure. So, congressional leaders are still looking at other alternatives and other avenues that could protect undocumented immigrants without um, without that green card, without that pathway to citizenship. One of them is something that's called immigration parole. Um, it is not that pathway to citizenship that advocates and act, that advocates and activists have been pushing for, um, but it does provide work authorization and. Um, protection from deportation. So that's what's kind of brewing right now in the next, um, the next options in terms of protecting undocumented folks in this reconciliation package.
0: And Juliana, can you tell us like um, from your perspective and from United We Dream's perspective, what does parole status means in terms of immigration? Um, and how does it differ from permanent residency or other protections for undocumented people?
3: yeah um happy to i would say that um being a DACA recipient myself it's a it, it's a deferred action kind of status right um parole would be a step up from that but not much i would say it it also would provide me for example with um uh, with ability to travel right um And uh, it would also provide maybe a a few um, access to a few, let's say social uh, safety net benefits. But at the same time, it would not, as Nicole mentioned, it would not provide a pathway to citizenship. It would, uh, so there would be no line for me to get into, uh, to um, to really become a full citizen there. It would not let me vote for example, right, it would not let me be a full participant of American society. I would say it would, in in view of people like my parents, for example, who are completely undocumented and don't have a work permit, right, I know that, I know how DACA was life-changing for me. I'm sure it would be a blessing for the millions of undocumented people who are currently without any benefits, any protections from deportation in the country, Uh, but it, it is not everything that we deserve. It's not what we were promised, right? Um, the Democrats have promised a pathway to citizenship for many, many years. One hasn't really been passed in Congress in the last 35 years. And so we really need them to deliver. I wanted to just say, uh, that we've been working really hard to also, uh, create uh, a structure of permission, for, for example, for Democrats in leadership to reject the parliamentarian's recommendation, right? At the end of the day, she's an unelected official in an advisory position. And what she says doesn't necessarily mean that's what's right. Um, we have, uh, I'd like to point out that there has been a letter oh, that was made public just yesterday with 92 Legal scholars uh, pointing out how wrong her first memo was, for example, right, and and how she has gone beyond the scope of the bird rules to have this recommendation to not allow for a pathway to citizenship for folks, and so we are working really hard to to also make that ask of a Senate uh, and Democratic leadership to have the courage to do what's right to deliver on their promises right um and that's that's how we're moving forward uh from united with dream and many other immigrant organizations
2: can, can i can i jump in because so there were there are a couple of things there that i want to just pull on a little bit and make sure um i'm understanding correctly in that uh our listeners at home are understanding so one you had you sort of made reference to so you said that parole status doesn't provide a line for you to get on towards citizenship. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's a reference to what we hear oftentimes is like, so often we hear people say, oh, I'm for immigration reform. But if people want to become a citizen, they need to get online. And what you're saying is quite literally that line doesn't even exist for you.
3: Exactly. It doesn't. So there's,
2: there's no line to get on. No. There's and no, this
3: would not create one.
2: And this would not create one. And so this idea or this message that we hear so often of, Oh, you know, if if undocumented people want to become citizens or permanent residents, they just need to get online and yet structurally that line doesn't exist. That waiting time doesn't exist. There is no line for folks to get on and so it's really a, a dishonest messaging tool that we're hearing from those who are opposed to immigration reform. And I just really wanted to drive that point home because I don't think that's always clear for for folks and and unfortunately parole status while it would provide, it sounds like significant, you know, not not insignificant protections, some significant protections here, but it would not provide that line to get on or that pathway to permanent residency or citizenship.
3: Exactly, and I really appreciate you driving that point home.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things we hear so often, and unfortunately, it gets repeated as if it's fact or as if it's the premise is accepted as truth, and we and it's just certainly not that. Just isn't the case. And then the the other thing that you mentioned that I wanted to pull on just a little bit is you talked a bit about the parliamentarian and the parliamentarian's role and ruling in this case, um, and noted that the parliamentarian essentially makes recommendations as opposed to binding rulings, um, and and I think that's a that's an important an important piece here. And I have to be honest, I hadn't heard about this letter from scholars that's out there that's really challenging the parliamentarian's initial recommendation that came out.
3: Yeah, it was just made public yesterday through uh, a report on the Hill. Um, and they they really go over, in her first memo, she, um, she gave all her reasonings for why this wouldn't be able to, to uh, be reconcilable, right? Because uh, in her mind, the benefits, the policy benefits that people would get are incalculable, and it goes uh, beyond the budgetary impact, right? To, to pass the bird rules, something has to have a significant budgetary impact. Um, And uh, it it has to, like, the reason for it being has to be the budgetary impact. And in her mind, this uh, is not true. But the the truth of the matter is that everything that passes through reconciliation will have an incalculable impact in people's lives, right? Saving the planet is incalculable. If we get climate change provisions in there, it'll be incalculable. And so um, the the legal scholars really took their time to uh go over her arguments and and rebut each and every one of them there was another one about uh she's worried about bipartisanship and in the future republicans uh uh, taking it away Uh, juliana we want to hear a lot more
0: about what you're sharing but unfortunately right now we have to go to break so we'll be right back with the generation progress takeover of the leslie marshall show and jump right back into that thank you
2: Welcome back to the Generation Progress takeover of the Lessie Marshall show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen,
0: and I'm your other co-host, struggling to get off mute, Edwistine <laughs> Eugene. I sh-
2: I am I am literally shaking my head, Edwist. How could you? <laughs> <laughs> We're
0: here. <laughs> We're <laughs> back.
2: We're back. We're back. We're doing this. So we are talking today, really about the the current fight to protect undocumented people here in the United States, or the current effort. Um, which builds on years of past advocacy efforts to do this very thing, to create a pathway to citizenship, to make sure that undocumented folks here in the United States have uh, protections uh, in the present day. And we are talking with Nicole Svalenka, Associate Research Director for the Center for American Progress's Immigration Policy Team, and uh, Juliana Macedo do Nascimento, the Senior Advocacy Manager at United We Dream. Thank you both for coming back here with us. Um, so we were talking, and Julian, I'm sorry we cut you off just before we went to this last break, but we were talking um, a, a bit about uh, sort of how the parliamentarian's ruling, or re- I, 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 I hate to even call it a ruling because in, in many ways it's a non-binding recommendation, um, perhaps uh, went beyond... Uh, where the lines are drawn for a parliamentarian's ruling. Uh, you, and, and I think you raised some really good points uh, in that regard and mentioned the letter that's out there. There's also something else, and I want to give you a chance to dive back in and, 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 and continue that train of thought. But I, and, I, and I also want to ask you about this idea of bipartisanship, which is something mm-hmm. you mentioned. And, and just want to highlight the fact that part of the reason we're at this point in time right now where we are trying to figure out how to make this work Through the reconciliation process, how to make this work, as you said, uh, Democrats in Congress and and on the Hill needing to um, live up to their promises is because we've essentially had a total abdication of of duty. We've had Republicans completely walk away from this conversation and are doing nothing to help the uh, 11 million people in this country, you know, who are looking for and are deserving of um, a pathway to citizenship and permanent protections here. Um, so anyway, Juliana, with that rambling thought, you know thought <laughs> process, I want to turn back to you just to just to round out what you were saying before we went to break.
3: No, I really appreciate that. and And I'm sorry, I, I went off the deep end here, but i I just wanted to point out that one of her reasonings in her first memo, Was that um, this is not a bipartisan process, which is kind of the whole point of it, because the Republicans have abdicated their duty to govern. Right. And so uh, she says that because this is all Democratic doing. that in the future Republicans could take it away, and so this uh, it it wouldn't be responsible on her part to to allow for that to happen. And the point is that's not part of the bird rules, right? That she that's that's uh, her job is to say if something is um, it passes the bird rules or not. But bipartisanship is is not a criteria there, um, and so really uh, bipartisanship here is is has become untenable, right? Because Republicans haven't really come to the table in good faith. I have to say, like we've tried, right? Like Dream and Promise, we've passed Dream and Promise Act in March this year. We also passed uh, the Farm Workforce Authorization Act um, also in March in the House and both had some Republican votes, Um, but in the Senate, they've they've really become, untractable right like they they won't move uh especially like the debt ceiling is is an example that we talked about earlier here so yeah the the republicans are just not moving on this and so democrats have to move on their own got it wow i hear that so hard
0: i was just um in the chat going wild because you said yeah. you abdicated um their role to govern their authority to govern and that is so true wow thank you for painting that picture for us
2: you're welcome so you know I think one of the, the one of the parts that we mentioned here sort of in passing and I want to zero in on it just a little bit Nicole is the idea so yes there are significant if not incalculable sort of benefits here through uh, of, of immigration reform and that's true in this space but it's also true in a number of other areas um, there are also very real budgetary and economic implications um, of 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 immigration reform and providing a pathway. Um, can, you, can you share a little bit about um, the scale or significance on the economic front of moving forward with immigration reform?
1: Yeah, absolutely happy to do so. Um, so one of the things that is unique about using this budget reconciliation process um, to address immigration reform is that everything that is a part of the reconciliation package has to have a budgetary impact. Um, the CBO, the Congressional... Um, budget office did come up with an estimate that those two previous um, proposals to put undocumented folks on a path to citizenship would cost about 140 billion dollars over the next decade and that is a lot of money. But I also want to point people to a report that our team recently published um, that was looking at a handful of these different scenarios um, in terms of putting folks on a pathway to citizenship. So that first proposal that would have protected about 7 million people. um, We created an analysis um, and a model of what would happen in the economy if those folks did have access to citizenship. and the results are huge, they are absolutely astounding. It would be a huge addition to our economy to the tune of $1.5 trillion over the next decade. It would create 400,000 new and permanent jobs, and it would raise raise, raise wages for um, not just those undocumented folks, but all Americans broadly. And so when we think about these types of um, proposals for a pathway to citizenship, the economic Um, impact is felt beyond just undocumented families, beyond communities, um, to really the entire country. Those 400,000 new jobs, those are jobs that anyone can work in. Um, And again, going back to that increased earning over the next decade, All workers, regardless of whether they were undocumented or not, would see um, increased wages each year of about $600. So, yes, there are these costs that are associated with it in order for for an immigration proposal to be in this. Um, But it really, really would have huge ripple effects throughout the economy. That's good for communities. That's good for local economies. That's really good for the country as a whole
2: with, I will cede the microphone to you in just a second, I promise. But I, I mean, Nicole said $1.5 trillion of economic benefit over the next 10 years. That is, during the Trump administration, there was a $1.9 trillion tax giveaway to the wealthiest Americans. We are talking about a $3.5 trillion top-line reconciliation bill, which it sounds like is now going to get brought down to... or or 2.2 or somewhere in that range, trillion dollar, again over 10 years. And this one thing alone, this one thing in terms of a pathway to citizenship could bring 1.5 trillion dollars of meaning to the economy over the next 10 years. So I just wanted to sort of juxtapose those numbers for scale here, because that is not by any means insignificant. So... Um, we've got we've got just about two and a half minutes left in this segment here. I want to uh, pivot a little bit here and then uh, perhaps when we come back after break, we can dive in a little bit more before we start uh, sharing with folks how they can get involved. Uh, but Julianne, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pivot a bit here uh, to ask you about the DACA rule. Um, can you share what is the DACA rule that the Biden administration has proposed and how does that fit into the current landscape of immigration advocacy?
3: Right. Oh, yeah, there is a lot happening in immigration these days, and the DACA rule um, is this proposed new rule through the Federal Register, right, that has just come out just last week on Tuesday. Um, It's up, as I've mentioned before, it's a proposed rule, so it changes nothing right now, but it is something that had been announced by the administration through the Texas case, that they are still uh, fighting um, through the courts uh, that aims to end the program altogether, right? Um, And what this rule aims to do is to codify the DACA policy, right, Um, so that it makes it harder for it to be challenged in the courts. Uh, they're doing this because of some um, some comments that judges and Supreme Court justices have made in the past about parts of the parts of the policy being vulnerable because of a, a lack of authority from the executive branch on it. Um, so, just trying to be brief here. Uh, it has it's it's not perfect right it codifies the the memo from 2012 with the same eligibility criteria uh but it also kind of severs the connection between uh the protection from deportation and the work permit that the policy uh provides and so when we come back i'd love to talk more about that because that's really a, a dangerous proposition prepos- from this administration and we see it is as, as, as a retreat from uh, protecting the the entirety of the program.
0: Yes, we'll we'll be right back.
3: back. (laughs) Oh, look
0: at that. (laughs) We'll be be right back after these messages. (laughs) Hello. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edweth Theogene.
2: And I'm your other co-host, Brent J. Cohen.
0: Nice. We have been learning so much and talking about what's next in the fight for immigration. Um, And we are joined by Nicole from CAP Policy Immigration Team. Hello, Nicole. Welcome back. Thanks so much. And we are also joined by Juliana, who is with, um, oh my gosh, my mind is blanking. (laughs) Sorry.
3: United We Dream.
0: United We Dream. An organization that is, like, not one to forget. Apologies. Um, So before we left on break, Juliana, you were letting us know a lot of information about um, Biden's rule on DACA. So if you can please, like, I guess, let us know what it is that we need to know about this. You had a lot of great information about the DACA rule.
3: Yes, thank you. Yeah, bottom line here is we appreciate, you know, the administration's uh, efforts to strengthen the uh the, the legal standing of the policy in the courts for sure that's something that that's needed we are disappointed that they didn't take this opportunity to expand the program right mm-hmm. they kept the same eligibility criteria from the 2012 memo that established it um, and we are disheartened by their decision to include a uh, a, a a disconnection, like uh, they're trying to sever the uh, parts of the policy that um, that talk about protections from deportation, right? So the deferred action of it from mm-hmm. the benefit of a work permit. So right now, for example, as a DACA recipient, every year i go and i renew it and i pay 495 dollars to uh, uh to have my deportation deferred for two years which wait is every bizarre. year
0: you pay 495 dollars. every two years every two well that's years. still a lot but yes
3: <laughs> it's a lot and it's prohibitive for a lot of people right we think that there's about 1.5 million people who would be eligible for it but only six hundred thousand in the program right now but that's besides the point <laughs> mm-hmm. i um I was just saying, right now we apply for both at the same time, so the deferred action and the the work permit. And as long as you are, um, as long as you qualify for the deferred action, you get a, a work permit. But this rule, if it became final, right, which doesn't mean that it will right now, it's just proposed, um, it would sever. Those and I'd uh, I'd have the option to only apply for the deferred action portion of it for eighty five dollars. Um, it would also continue to be every two years. But the problem here is that it basically uh, tells the courts and and tells people that they don't think that they can defend the work permit portion of the policy in the courts and and kind of it, we see it as them kind of giving it up. Uh, before they have to, and not giving a full-throated defense of the entirety of the program, right? And so having DACA and having a protection from deportation is great, but if I didn't have a work permit, I couldn't live my life, right? So the idea that you would give hundreds of thousands of people protection from deportation, but no way to live in the United States um, is really bizarre to us, and, and we are very disappointed in it.
0: Thank you so much for contextualizing the experience and even sharing your personal experience too. Um, I think that's what happens with systems. Like they actually forget about the lived experiences of people, which is really disheartening. Um, So we've heard a lot about what's happening in the immigration space. Um, Nicole, for people who are interested in getting more involved in this issue, where would you recommend they go to get started?
1: Sure. Um, And I do just want to chime in um, on one thing that Juliana said, because our immigration team at CAP um, has partnered with a couple organizations, including United We Dream um, in the past several years to do a survey of DACA recipients. Um, And so we don't just, we have these numbers now to back it up um, just how important DACA can be in terms of employment and ability to contribute to the economy and working. Um, So we know that two-thirds of DACA recipients have been able to move to jobs with better pay. Um, More than half of DACA recipients have moved to jobs with better working conditions or to um, career paths that better fit their education and training. Um, And, you know, 60 percent have been able to move to jobs with benefits like health insurance. Um, So again, circling back on why it's so important to make sure that DACA recipients have that ability to work. Um, But yes, in terms of getting involved um, you know, CAP has a lot of resources online um, to kind of bolster some of these arguments and make sure that people who are um, who are on the front lines making these cases made have data and statistics to help back them up. Um, and so I would highly recommend that, um, you know, folks either follow us um, on Twitter at CAP Immigration um, or at AmericanProgress.org slash immigration. We have all of our resources organized online. Um, And I would also, I mean, we look to United We Dream as leaders on this front. Um, And so I know that they are organizing um, an effort to make sure that all public comments um, in response to this proposed DACA rule um, are filed. And so we're going to be starting to get ready to work on on that on our end.
0: Thanks, Nicole. I want to backtrack just a little bit. You talked about the DACA survey, um, which we've shared on our social media platforms before in the past. Can you tell us, provide some highlights of what had been the key findings um, in the DACA survey that you've done?
1: Sure. So this is actually an ongoing survey. Um, we have done seven DACA surveys um, in the nine years since the program um, has been established. And for folks out there who are DACA recipients, we are currently fielding um, our next survey. And so I'm happy to send that along if it's a way that you would like to, you know, show um, and be part of this project to really quantify just the real, the the outsized impacts that DACA has made on folks lives. Um, But that's right. So we have um, information that shows DACA recipients have moved to better jobs, with better working conditions, with better benefits. Um, It also has showed us just how much DACA recipients are doing in their community um, in terms of business creation, right? Um, You know, 6% of DACA recipients have um, started their own business and they employ thousands of people across the country. Um, We also know that DACA has increased wages um, and earnings for folks who um, are part of the program Um, and that they have been able to, that folks who have DACA um, have pursued more education, higher education, um, and all of those things have real, um, real trickle effects throughout the economy in terms of, again, job creation, you know, spending money, and the likes, um, the likes of those things. So we know that it has just had um, a, a huge, a, a huge impact on folks um, across the country, and so really want to make sure that that is not jeopardized. That this rule strengthens DACA, does not take away from DACA, but that we keep pushing to make sure that the protections that DACA recipients have are permanent and are now going to be a pathway to citizenship. That is what DACA recipients deserve, and that is what we will make sure that we keep fighting to do.
0: Yes, I always love how CAP and your team in particular, Nicole, um, use research as a a strong tool of advocacy, right? All of this data that you all have been mining um, have been able to keep You know strengthening and advancing daca as well as fighting for a pathway for citizenship as we talked about earlier with like reconciliation and all of the budget bills so that's very exciting to to have all that data and information Um, definitely check out the cap website and stuff and look at all the tools and resources and if you are a daca recipient and interested in, in supporting this survey please do so um, I'm going to ask this, the same question that I asked earlier to Nicole. To you, Juliana, um, If for people who are interested in getting involved on this issue, um, where would you recommend they go get started?
3: So have you asked. <laughs> we have several ways, but uh, I just want to make sure, thank you, Nicole, for uh, mentioning our survey and our uh, comment drive campaign. Uh, folks can go to comment.homeishere.us. To send in their own comments against uh, or I- in support of the rule in in, in general, right? But uh, against the uh, uh, the disconnection between the two provisions, uh, we made it really simple. It's just that we have templates; you can copy paste. It's going to be great. Um, and uh, and then secondly, to get involved with the reconciliation package fight and you know in in providing a pathway to citizenship for uh, all undocumented people in the country. Folks can just text uh, pathway to 877-877 and our team will get back to you with all kinds of ways that you can get involved. We are also on all social media platforms that I know of, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Y'all can find us. It's United We Dream or United We Dream Action. So thank you.
2: Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us on this show. Thank you for walking through all the incredible work that you were doing. We know that the work continues and is ongoing. And so we thank you for the continued efforts going forward. That is all the time we have for today. Thank you to today's guests, Nicole Spalenka and Juliana Macedo, though Nascimento, uh, our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our communications manager, Emily Leach, and to all of our listeners. Please make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at GenProgress. And we will talk to you all again on our next remote Generation Progress takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show.
1: Millions of Americans are getting back to work. CareerBuilder calls it the great rehire. And we want to help you get the best jobs before everyone else. CareerBuilder gives you the competitive edge to get the job you want, at the salary you want, with the benefits you want. We even send job alerts so your perfect job lands right in your inbox. Go to CareerBuilder.com today or get left with whatever jobs are left. Find your next job fast at CareerBuilder.com.